So today, what I want to do is ignite in you the vision that Jesus has for your life. What my desire to do is to fan the flames of what he maybe has done in the past, but is lying dormant, to fan the flames of, of what your heart and your soul are really craving and longing for, the meaning and significance and purpose that you know deep down somewhere you've been made for, but you're not living it, you're not walking it, you're not bringing it into every area of your life. As a church, the thing that God has been bringing into clarity for us in the last five years is not these amazing you know, plans and strategies, it's actually giving us clarity on how we are going to walk with you in you discovering and walking out God's calling and purpose and vision for your life. And the person that we're gonna look to is Jesus. But before we get there, as I was just you know, praying about this and asking him about what he wanted us to kind of focus in on, I felt him actually leading and saying, I want you to talk about Jeremiah 29. And my first response, honestly, was, oh, that's like, everybody knows that verse, and that's, that's so cliche. And we take it out of context so badly like we apply that to things that I don't know that God ever intended for. But I actually sensed him saying, get over yourself, Andrew, because this is what I want to communicate. And so I want to just invite you to open your Bible to Jeremiah 29. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And we're going to read this whole chunk and before we get to that, I want to just set, I want to set the story context for what's happening. Because Israel and Judah now, both the northern and southern tribes of Israel have been exiled. The, the very thing that they were convinced God would never allow to happen that he would never allow the Babylonians to take over, that he would never allow Nebuchadnezzar to succeed, that he would never allow them to go into captivity. The very thing they were utterly convinced could not happen, that God would never allow in their nation, in their lives, is now happening. They're in exile. And as they're in exile, they're wrestling with what, what, like, God, what about all your promises to us? What about all this stuff? And they have a group of priests and prophets who are saying, no, 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 don't, don't, don't plant down roots here. Don't get comfortable. God is bringing us back. The good old days are coming back. He's bringing us back. And then God brings Jeremiah along and Jeremiah says, ah, no, that's actually not what God is doing. God is gonna leave us here for 70 years. And there's this struggle going on because the, the prophets of Israel, they, they can't reconcile how God would allow them to experience pain and heartache and hardship and suffering and persecution and all of these things. They can't, in their wildest dreams, they cannot imagine that that could ever be part of God's purposes or plans for their life. And so they make up these prophecies that say, hey, no, we're going back. God is going to bless us. Everything's going to be okay. And Jeremiah says, no, that's actually not what's going to happen. We're staying. Let's read. Verse 1, Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiakim the queen mother, the court officials, the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elisa, son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. Okay, so these people, they're, they're, they've now been ripped out of their homes. Their families have been torn apart. They're experiencing great suffering now. And this is what God is saying to them 
in this space. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captives he has exiled in Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Cole's notes of that, bring the kingdom of God to bear where you are in this place of exile. I know it's hard. I know you're suffering. I know it's not the place you want to be. I know, I know it's not the place you could have ever have imagined God would lead you. I know there's things going on in your life that you can't make sense of, that you're literally sitting there going, God, I don't know how this even happened. How did my life get here when I thought it was going there? And God says, through Jeremiah to these people, I want you to not get worried about going back to the good old days, going back to the way it was before. I want you to bring the kingdom to bear in the midst of what you're walking through. I want you to bring my presence into the things that you're struggling with. I want you to bring my nature and my goodness and my peace and my reign into this place of exile, this place that you don't want to be, this experience you want to move out of. I want you instead to bring my presence there. He continues, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. You need to be very careful and I need to be very careful when stuff starts to go on in our life that, that leaves us feeling vulnerable or leaves us feeling like we're being attacked or we're being you know, pushed into a corner, when, when things start going on in our life that don't seem to add up to our vision for what should be happening, we need to be very careful, very careful not to take the bait of the enemy and believe the lies of the enemy that this is, this is not, this can't possibly be from God. There can't be anything productive in here. Uh, what God wants to do is, is remove this trouble from your life and bring you back to a, a place of rest and peace. We have to be very careful that we don't fall into the temptation of just hearing what we want to hear or believing what we want to believe about our present situation because things are hard and they're difficult. Jesus has a vision for your life and a part of that vision for your life and for my life is the ability to walk through exile, the ability to walk through the fire and trust him in the middle of it, not be running for the exit door, just trying to get out of it. And so Jeremiah is warning them, don't believe these false prophets who are saying, hey, just get out of there, get out of there, go back home, reject this. This can't possibly be God's heart or his will. Later in this book, did you know that God calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant? It's like, I, I can't even really grasp it or fathom it. What do you mean, God? He's your servant. God said he's my servant. He's my instrument to bring about my purposes and my plans. God will use whoever he wants to use. The people that we think that he would never use or never entrust leadership to or decision-making to often are the very people that God, in fact, is entrusting leadership to. The question we have to ask and the question at the heart of walking out God's vision for our life is what are we gonna do when things get really real in our life? What are we gonna do? How are we gonna respond 
to pressure? How are we gonna respond to persecution? How are we gonna respond to conflict? How do we respond to exile the way that those Israelites experienced it? He continues, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I've promised. I want you just to kind of park there for a minute. Here's God in his goodness coming alongside Israel and saying, look, I know this is not what you thought was gonna happen. I know this is not what you pictured taking place in your life. I know that this is hard. I know that this is agonizing, but it's gonna keep going. But here's what I want you to know. I'm with you. I'm not pulling you out. I'm walking with you through. I'm here. I wonder if we circumvent God's vision for our life so often because of the things we're unwilling to endure with him. The conflicts, the relational conflicts, we, wanna, we, we just wanna be rid of and done with. And so we move on from people. We move on from situations. We move on from work environments. We move on from our social circles, our friendship groups, because they're too hard for us. I wonder how much of the calling of God we miss because we're not willing to walk through with him the things that he's inviting us to walk through with him. I will come, I'll be with you, and I'll do for you all the good things I've promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Do you realize the context of that? It's not happy days. It's not everything's bright and sunny and there's rainbows everywhere and my life is, uh, I'm living my best life in every way. That's not the context. For I know the plans I have for you in the middle of what you're going through. I know where I'm leading you. The question is, do you trust me? Are you willing to turn over leadership in your life to me? Or do you not trust me? And do you insist on making your own plans and your own decisions? Do you insist on having clarity with where you're going and needing to know, to know, to know what's coming next and then after that and then after that? Or do you trust that God knows the plans he has for you in the middle of the exile? See, I think one word defines Jesus's life more than any, and that's trust. No one ever in humanity has ever released their life in such a trusting way to the Father, even to the point of death. I think the question we have to ask as we think about God's vision for our lives is do I trust him? Like really, do I really trust him? Or is all of my energy spent making my own plans for the future, hedging all of my bets, creating that whatever you need to feel comfortable with a, a nest egg in the bank and, and making sure that your life is organized in such a way that you don't have to stress or worry about things. But is that trust? It's a rhetorical question I'm asking myself too. God says, I know the plans I have for you. And I know that what you're experiencing in your life right now doesn't seem to make sense or add up, but I know my plans. I know where I'm going. I know what I wanna bring out of you. I know what I've made you for. I know what I've called you to. I know the purpose in my heart for you before the foundation of the world, before you were knit together in your mother's womb. I knew why I made you and what makes you you. And I know where I'm going with you. The question is, would you trust me and stay with me in the fire? When things are hard, 
When life is uncertain, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I think sometimes when we're in those days, prayer is the last thing we wanna do. We don't actually think it works. If we're honest, let's be honest. We really don't think prayer does anything. It's not efficient in accomplishing our said goals. It's not, uh, we can't evaluate it and measure it the way we can if we just sit down and we, we put our head down and we barrel through and we get stuff done. Prayer doesn't work. And yet God says, if you, if you, in this season of your life would commit to spending time with me, commit to hearing me, commit to being in my presence, then I'll lead you. Then I'll sustain you. I'll bring you through. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It means look for it everywhere. God, where in my life am I struggling to trust you? Where in my life do I have a death grip of anxiety on the stuff going on? Where, where in my life am I, am I lacking surrender to you? It means to look for his kingdom everywhere. God, in my workplace, where, where are you? Where are you leading? In my family, in my marriage that's falling apart now, God, where, what are you doing? Where are you? God, I need to see your kingdom in my wife and in my kids. I need to see your kingdom in the coworker that I hate. I need to see your kingdom in, in what I'm planning for the future. God, I want to look for it everywhere, every, every area of my life, every zone of my life. God, I want to see what you're doing and I want to see your kingdom. And this is what God is saying through Jeremiah. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me, but we're not looking. And if we are looking often, we're just looking to ourselves. Jesus says, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity. I will bring you through. I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna abandon you. I'm not gonna let you just kind of figure it out on your own. I will lead you through. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. He's saying this to Israel specifically. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. Jesus has a vision for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He's got a calling on your life. The question is, are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to trust him in those areas that are hard, in those circumstances and situations that, that tempt you to just go at it alone, to be your own savior, your own provider, your own solution maker? Jesus was able to know and trust the heart of the Father to such a degree. If you, like, just think through the Gospels again, the stories of Jesus as he walked. He never, ever, ever was anxious. In the face of crazy confrontation, in the face of rejection, in the face of cruelty, in the face of unfairness, in the face of injustice and all of these things, he was never anxious. Why? Because he trusted the nature and the heart of his father. He knew the plans of his father for him were good. 
He knew that beyond the shadow of a doubt, so he could walk into any situation and carry peace and rest. And what do we do? As soon as we're confronted with stuff, we start unraveling and we start clawing and grasping. We start defending ourselves. We start expressing insecurity. We start overpowering other people. We start uh, planning and chronically planning and over planning. And we start to do all of these things because we don't trust the heart and the plans of the Father for us. And so we live our lives often in fear and in anxiousness, worried of what's gonna happen, who's gonna take care of this or that or them or me. And Jesus, in every situation, his perception of what was happening and what was real was not formed by what he saw or heard around him. Just like God is challenging the Israelites, hey, you're in exile, you're gonna be there 70 years, but don't let what you see around you or hear with your ears shape your perspective of me or you or what I can and want to do. I have a vision and a calling for your life that can only come through intimacy and relationship with me. Here's three questions. I want to encourage you even just to jot these down, put them on your phone. Three questions to ask God on a regular basis, like probably an everyday basis. <laughs> Best to start in the morning, just to get a head start on things. First question, God, what do you want me to know right now? All of this stuff is going on in my life. I'm, my, I'm scattered. My, my attention is in a hundred different places. I've got a lot of things I need to take care of. I've got a lot of stuff weighing down on me, but I'm gonna meet with you, God. And what I wanna know more than anything else is what do you want me to know right now? What is the thing that is most important for me to know from you? I want to encourage you to actually begin to practice this. In the morning, just take some time, quiet yourself. Bring all your thoughts captive under Jesus, his rule and his reign, and just say, Jesus, what do you want me to know today? Second question, why do you want me to know that? That's a really important question. See, we could get an answer to the first one from him or sense what he wants us to know and then make up our own mind as to why he wants us to know that and totally miss the whole point. Number one, Jesus, what do you want me to know? After you feel like, you know, and it's, we're not talking about maybe life altering, earth shattering revelations. We're talking about like the practical stuff for the day. What do you want me to know? Number two, Jesus, why are you bringing this to my attention? Why do you want me to know that? And just take a few minutes with him to ask him. Third question, what are you asking me to do? What do you want me to know? Why do you want me to know it? Then third, then what do you want me to do? And this can take place very quickly. The Holy Spirit doesn't need a long time to communicate. It doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out, two-hour soaking prayer session with Bethel music on. You, you can do that if you want. That's great. But this, this, to me, is like when I'm in the middle of something, when, I, when I'm in the middle of my day and something comes up and it's bothering me, it's rubbing me the wrong way, it's, it's, it's confronting something in me, it's, it's throwing kind of this wrench into my, my plans or my thinking or it's, it's, it's confronting the stuff going on in my heart, whatever it is, whether you're sitting in class or you're, you're doing something else, you're, you're in, engaging with your spouse or whatever and something comes up and then this natural mechanism to then lead into sort of, well, I have control. I need to have control. I need to know how to deal with this. I need to solve this problem. I need to figure this out. When that begins to stir up, you stop and you go, wait a minute. Jesus, you're with me. 
You have a vision and a plan for my life. You're good and you're faithful. I can trust you. I really can. And you're here right now. I don't care whether I'm in university class right now or at work or walking down the street or, you know, about to get in a fight with somebody. I don't know, whatever it is. But Jesus, you're here. So what is the one thing you want to say to me right now? I need to hear your heart and perspective of this. And then why do you want me to know? And then what are you asking me to do? This is how I think Jesus lived. So Jesus has a vision for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And at its most basic root, his vision for your life is to become like him because Jesus is our model for how to live as a human, how to be fully human and fully alive, how to fully live out the purposes and plans of God for our life. And so at its most basic level, his vision for your life, for this year, this fall, this season, is that you would become more like him. I'll say it a different way because this might more clearly demonstrate the chasm here. What he's calling you is to become what you believe. See, we have this, this false sort of idea in Western church that we can believe something intellectually, that we can believe something theoretically, that we can believe doctrine and theology and not actually live it. And that's not found in scripture. His calling to you is to become what you believe. Do you believe Jesus is Lord of your life? Do you really? Do you trust him? Are you becoming more like the one you put your life into, the, the things of your life into? He's calling you to become like him. He's calling you to become what you say you believe. So here's what I believe and we believe. I have a few sort of, I think these are gonna be up on the screen. Here's what I believe about him and his vision for your life. Here's what I believe is true about you and about me. Number one, you were knit together by God in your mother's womb. You, you gotta get this straight, you are God's idea. I don't care what the circumstances of your conception were. I don't care what was going on with your mother and father. I don't care any of those details. You are God's idea. And you're an idea born out of his love and desire. You have been knit together in your mother's womb by the hand of God for a purpose. I want you to hear that today because the enemy comes in and he accuses us with all kinds of nonsense, all kinds of lies. Like you'll never amount to anything. Look at what happened to your parents. Look at what happened to their relationship. There's no way that God would wanna use you. Look how broken you are. Look how dysfunctional you are. Look and look and look and look at all this stuff. And the very first thing you need to realize is God has a plan for you because you are his idea. And it gave God great pleasure to set in motion the arrangements to bring you into reality and into life. You are God's idea. You're not just the random idea of two people who may or may not have been in love with each other. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake or a mishap. You are God's idea. You're wanted and loved by him. You can look at Psalm 139 for more on that. Number two, you have an identity, purpose, and calling that come from him because you're his idea. These areas, this identity and purpose and calling that we have from God is what the ancients called our true self. This is the me that God had in mind when he created me in his goodness and in his love. This is the me that is untainted by my own dysfunction and my own worry and my own anxiousness and my own brokenness and my own hurt and my own trauma and my own life experiences. This is the me that God had in mind when he formed me in my mother's womb. And this is what the ancients called your true self. You have a true self. 
is what we believe about you. Number three, we also believe Satan created an unholy trinity. The world, the flesh, and the devil, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. We've talked about this a ton. And that Satan's purpose is to enslave and steal and kill and destroy your life. His stated goal is to kill and destroy everything good that God has purposed and planned for you. He hates you. There's not an ounce of dignity or humanity or goodness in Satan in any way. He hates you with a passion and he's organized the world, the flesh and his own kingdom to undermine and pervert and destroy the true you that God made for a purpose and a reason. This is what the ancients called the false self. This is all the garbage we believe about ourselves, all the self-talk garbage that we believe about ourselves. I'm a failure, I'm not good enough, I'm dirty, I'm broken, I'm beyond help. These are the labels that even our culture tells us to give ourselves. Like we call things like my depression. You may be struggling with depression and depression is a real thing, but that's not you. That's not your identity. We, we actually have been taught by our culture to take these areas of struggle and brokenness, addiction, alcoholism, and make that our identity. But that's not who you are. That's a false narrative of your life, a false self. Next, we know that Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. First John 3, 8, Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. Everything that Satan has been doing to take you out and to undermine the purposes and the vision and the call of God in your life, Jesus came to destroy, and he did. Next thing we believe is that on the cross and in his bodily resurrection, Jesus defeated Satan, sin and death. Jesus is the one in authority now over every ruler, authority, principality, and power in heavenly places and on the earth. Number six, Jesus is offering salvation, deliverance for anyone who's willing to trust him and turn the running of their lives over to him. Salvation is not, again, salvation, biblically speaking, means deliverance. It means that in every area of your life, every area, Jesus can deliver you from what is breaking you, hurting you, traumatizing you, causing you pain and wounding. Every area of your life, Jesus can bring deliverance and freedom and victory to. Not just, I believe in you, Jesus, and one day I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna walk through the pearly gates with you. That's not the biblical uh, description of salvation. Salvation is deliverance and freedom from everything the enemy has been doing to destroy your life. And he wants to do it even today and even now. He has a purpose and a vision and a calling for you. He came and he destroyed the power of sin and death and the enemy and in his strength and in his might and in his goodness and all of the character of the Father, he wants to lead you into freedom in areas of brokenness and wounding and trauma in the areas of your heart and your soul that you're, you're wracked with anxiety and worry and fear about. He wants to set you free to live out his vision and his calling for you. Next, Jesus has a kingdom purpose and calling on your life, like I've said. Number eight, Jesus can heal, restore, and set you free to live in your true self, your true identity. And this is where we get into the vision and heart of our church. Lastly, Jesus showed us how to trust God with our lives. So what do we see in Jesus's life that was characterized by trust? What is it? Number one, we see humility and obedience to the Father. He trusted God with every part of his life, like he actually did. He didn't just say it. 
He became what he believed and learned how to trust the Father with everything. Number two, Jesus' life was characterized by humility and dependence on the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this in the past. You can go back and listen to other messages. Ephesians 2, or Philippians 2, sorry, talks about this. Jesus was totally dependent. You know, as Jesus lived on the earth, one of the core the core theologies we have is that Jesus was fully human. Okay, not just half or part. What it meant for Jesus to be fully human, Paul says in Philippians 2, is that he humbled himself, he laid aside his right to use his divinity to overcome the human struggles that we do. What it means for Jesus to be fully human is he didn't pull this God card ace out of his sleeve and say, well, this is a tough one. This is a hard one. So I'm just gonna rely on my divinity, my godness to get me through it. He didn't. He experienced every human condition possible. And as a human, without relying on his godness, he walked in victory and in trust on the Father and dependence on the Spirit. And in that way, he modeled modeled for us how we too can live. We've got to get over this idea that, you know, we can't relate to Jesus at all and that he has nothing to tell us about how to actually live. He does. Number three, as a result of the first two, Jesus expressed kingdom life and power. The kingdom of God was manifest through him. So how did he do it? And this is, we've talked about this before. I'm not going to go into super detail, This is what God has been bringing clarity to us in. You have a vision and a calling on your life and what he's showing us is how to help you cultivate that. And what we're looking to is Jesus as our model. So what were three things that characterized his life? Number one, Jesus submitted himself and was shaped by scripture. Jesus brought his life under scripture and allowed scripture to form and shape him. He did that by reading it. He did it by meditating on it. He did it by memorizing it. He did it by spending his life in the scripture and allowing the the weight of it to shape his life. This is how Jesus walked as a human. The second thing Jesus did is he had regular rhythms of spiritual life and practice. Some people call them spiritual disciplines, holy habits, whatever you want to call them. It doesn't even matter. But Jesus in his life devoted intentional time to cultivating the the presence of the Father. How do you think he heard from the Father what he was supposed to be doing? How do you think he knew who to heal and what to do? Do you think he just made it up on the fly? No, he spent whole nights alone with his father, hearing his father. He had regular rhythms of fasting and regular rhythms of solitude and silence and regular rhythms of prayer and and generosity and all of these things. And these things cultivated in him the nature of his father. And third, Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit's gifting and power. He was totally dependent on the Holy Spirit's power. You and I have the exact same opportunity to do these things and as a church, this is what we feel God has called us to narrow in on and to help you with. We're going to be doing these things together in different environments, different places of engagement. We have obviously Sunday mornings, but we're starting in a few weeks, uh, a 20 week intensive called Freedom Session. And if you haven't signed up or registered for that, I want to invite you to. This is like something we did as a staff um, all winter and spring. Uh, this year, earlier this year, because we're not going to invite you into something that we haven't walked through first. 
But Freedom Session is like a 20-week intense discipleship program aimed at actually uncovering your true self, identifying the false self areas of your life and inviting the work and the presence and the healing and the restoration of Jesus into every part of your life, the stuff, the real stuff the real hurt, the real trauma, the real anger, the real anxiety and worry, the real dysfunction in your relationships and all of these things. It invites Jesus into that and teaches us how to actually steward his presence in all of these areas of our life so that we can actually live out his calling and his gifts. You can talk to somebody at our information bar for more information about that. We're starting that in October. Worship nights, once a month, these are intentional times for us to invest in the presence of Jesus. We're gonna be restarting our monthly days of fasting and prayer, and we're starting tomorrow as we prep for revival nights coming next weekend. Tomorrow is a day for fasting, and tomorrow evening, we're going to engage in prayer. And all year, when we had these days of prayer and fasting, we, we didn't plan it this way, but we started doing things a bit different. When we came, it wasn't just your typical like group prayer time where everybody just starts praying random things. We started to teach you how to listen and to hear and to sit in the presence of Jesus, hear words from him and actually express those and bring those to the body and see what the Holy Spirit was doing to teach you to pray in a different way. That's what we were doing. Was it just sort of your random typical prayer meeting? And so I want to invite you tomorrow night to our night of prayer and fasting. We, we have something that we've been building and have um, utilized with several people now called Restoration Prayer. And it's a whole prayer process that we walk through to walk through stuff that's gone on in your life in the past and to pray through with people the stuff that you really need prayer for and to walk into areas of deliverance from the demonic and all kinds of that stuff. We have Perch for Women stuff. We have Immerse Nights where we read scripture and talk about it. Alpha, Volunteering, Marriage Nights. There's so much that you could be a part of. These are areas of engagement. I want to just get Spencer to come up and I want to invite you to just stand. We're going to close off and our job as a church is not to tell you what God's vision for your life is. It's to show you and walk with you in how to see that vision come to life. Our job as a church is to partner with Jesus, to partner with you and help you cultivate and stir the purposes and plans of God for your life. The stuff that you've just kind of long left in the ditch of life and trouble and marriage and family and work and all of that stuff. Our heart is to ignite in you a holy fire again for the purposes of God. You were made by God. You're his idea and he's got a calling on your life. He does. He has assignments for you. Things that you can't even imagine right now that aren't even on your radar that will bring you more fulfillment and life than any substance or person ever could. So he's calling us as a church, not just to have a, a vision for programs, but to have a vision for what your life could look like if you turned over leadership to Jesus. What would your life look like in your finances if you actually turned over leadership to him? I'm not talking about tithing. That's like the baseline beginning. What would happen if you said, God, I, I'm gonna turn over the other 90% to you. How do you want me to spend it? What do you want me to invest in? Who do you want me to bless? How do you want me to use the resources you've blessed me with? We have a vision to ignite in you a passion for the things of God for your life. Like what would it be like if you turned over your marriage to him, like really turned it over? Instead of believing that the end is near and that it's irreconcilable and it's so broken, no one could fix it. What does Jesus have to say about it? What is his vision for you in your marriage and in your family? 
as a church, our vision is that you become, that you become a man or woman of God created and called by him, walking in his purposes, not perfectly, but walking in greater measures in his purposes for your life, walking without fear or anxiousness about what the future holds because you know the plans of God for you are good. Even in the middle of the exile, he's still good. Our vision for you is that you learn to trust God with your whole life the way that Jesus did. Our vision for you is that you get serious about prioritizing and cultivating your spiritual life. That's our vision for you. Our vision for you is that you allow yourself to be shaped by scripture that you invest intentional time in reading it and in memorizing it, in meditating on it, in soaking it and allowing it to penetrate your life. Our vision is that you would invite and experience the power of Jesus to heal you, to heal what's been broken and marred in relationships, to heal what has gone on in your past, to heal that stuff that you would experience the power of Jesus to step into your past and bring restoration, to cut off the chains of bondage that you still have to the stuff you're not proud of and ashamed of and embarrassed of. Our vision is that you would invite and experience God in each deep area of your heart and life. Our vision is that you would allow Jesus to confront areas of your character that don't look like him. Our vision is that you would walk free from worry and anxiety. Our world isn't going back to the way it was in the 70s and 80s or 90s. It's not. But Jesus is with you. He has a calling and a purpose for your life and he has the power to lead you without worry and anxiety in a totally crazy world that's broken. Our vision is that when you come into trouble, when you're confronted and under pressure, when you're in the heat of arguments with people, our vision is that you would actually respond as your true self, not this distorted, insecure version of yourself. Our vision is that you would carry the kingdom of God into your relationships. Our vision is that you would learn to know and to love and hear God through rhythms of spiritual practice. Our vision for you is that your prayer life would come alive. Our vision is that you would grow to know the voice of God. This is what I pray for my kids every single night. Jesus, teach them to hear your voice and to know it. I ask the Holy Spirit, I literally ask, Holy Spirit, would you allow them to hear your voice and know it? And then would you give them a heart of faithfulness towards you? Our vision for you, my heart for every one of you is that you would know the voice of God, that you would hear it and that it would cause you to come alive, that it would bring you leadership and direction and give you vision and comfort and purpose, that you would know his voice. That's our vision for you. Our vision for you is that you would experience the power of God's gifts in you. Our vision for you is that you would experience God supernaturally using you in your life, in this church. And our vision for you is that you would experience the reality of his kingdom, that your marriage would be impacted, that your family, your school life would be impacted. Our vision for you is that you would become what you actually say you believe. Let's pray, Jesus. We invite you just in these few moments
to speak life and truth. I, I just ask and invite you, Jesus, to speak to each person here, even in these moments. Jesus, what is one thing you want to say to them today? In the name of Jesus, I renounce and I cancel the lies of the enemy of God. Any lying or confusing spirit, I forbid you from accessing our heart or our minds right now. Cancel the blinding effects of the enemy of God over us. And I just say, Jesus, what is the one thing you want to say to each one here today? about who they are, your purposes and plans for their life, your sufficiency and your power that they can trust you, whatever it is. Father, today we want to learn how to trust you with the real stuff in our life in a greater way. And so we just ask for your leadership, Jesus. We ask for your presence, Holy Spirit. We ask for the fullness of the life of Christ to invade every compartment of our our life right now. And Father, we pray that you would begin to cultivate and to call out, to show us how to recognize your gifts and your calling in our life. Show us how to recognize the vision and purpose that you have for each one of us. Fan it into flame, Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.